Sean. Hey, Radcast is on. And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. <laughs> Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. There's nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. <laughs> Hailing from Wisconsin, Jenna Waller. Thanks so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bow Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Ragcast Outdoors. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick Edwards. I'm here in my remote studio, and I also have David from the road. So welcome, David. I told you, just reversal of roles. Last week you're on, <laughs> this week I'm on the road. But I'm glad that we can join and get this technology figured out. Yeah, so we're trying out StreamYard this time. So if you're watching this on our YouTube when this comes out, you'll have to let us know if you like it or not. We're still on the fence, but we're going to try it out and see how it goes. And so David, tell us about where you're at right now. I am in St. Louis, Missouri at a show called ATA, Archery Trade Association. It is the, it's the Super Bowl, the World Cup, whatever you want to call it, of the outdoor archery space. So all the big name companies are here with big booths and everybody gets their best studs on and puts their best foot forward and shows the new products. It's a cool time. It's a cool show to be at. It's a member only, so it's not open to the public. However... You get a lot of vendors, a lot of indies, a lot of cool new products. This is the first crack at all the new stuff. Unfortunately, I'll be working a booth, not walking around the show, and that is the fun part. Well, I hope that you do well down there. And it's exciting is doing this podcast. One of the coolest things I always say over and over again is you get to meet new people from different walks of life and other podcasters. And so I have one of those with us today. So I have Felicia Marie, and she has recently been hosting the Women in the Wild Outdoors podcast, which has been really cool. And I came across it, and so I started to check it out, and I was like, you know what? We need to have her on the podcast and just have a conversation about all the cool stuff that you're involved with because you're doing a whole bunch of different things. And so, Felicia, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us on a cold, wintry day. I know up where you're at, it's super cold, and here it's super cold as well. The weather's getting crazy. Even our friends in Texas are getting weather in the 20s, so good luck, Texas. I know that you love that as much as anybody. (laughs) But where I wanted to start was you are an avid outdoorsman. You were showing me, and you've got the ribeye of the sky behind you on the wall mounted. (laughs) One of my favorite birds, by the way. It's just, they're super cool sandhill cranes. But can you just tell us a little bit about how you got into hunting? Because more, and our show highlights women all the time, we see women getting more involved in the hunting space. So can you tell us how you got that start? Yeah, I actually don't have a traditional start to the outdoors. I started with just fishing as little knee high going out with my dad. I grew up on Lake Erie and that was how the outdoors was introduced to me. A lot of camping and backpacking and and that kind of stuff. I didn't really get into hunting until I was in my late teens and it was actually late great Fred Bear. He was on the outdoors channel doing an interview, which ironically enough, he passed away the same year I was born. So this would have been 15 years after his passing. And he 
was they were doing a reel of the different hunts that he had done, his brown bear that he had taken with his recurve up in Alaska, I believe it was. And I just, I was like, I want to do that. And it wasn't necessarily hunting that caught my interest. It was the archery aspect. Little did I know that was going to consume me for the rest of my life the moment I picked up a bow and everything else just quickly fell into place. And I became from fishing to... Well, you and David will get along great because David is an avid hunter. I got stuck on the fishing stuff, (laughs) but yeah, David can definitely sympathize with you with the bow fever is what I call it. David? I, 14 years old, got an, I got somebody that told me, Hey, come get a bow and you can go bow hunting with me for a week. And I've never looked back. Now I do some rifle hunting. I think you would look around my trophy room at 40% rifle kills, 60% archery, but There is something about picking that bow up, practicing. Just it's Patrick. It's setting a goal for a a forty inch monkey with a home tied jig, right? It's not. And I'm talking whether it's doves to big game with archery equipment. You are intentionally limiting your capabilities, and so to do that, you've got to be on top of your game if you want to be successful. And it's there is a little bravado and ego of macho ness, but when you cut through that that jargon it's down to you nature and how you perform and every year you're up against yourself and can i do better than i do last year one thing i will say is it's a game to you and me it's life or death to an animal and so we get to go play it again and again those animals it's they have to make one mistake and they're out of the game so they're always bringing their a game so you got to start bringing yours if you want to have year in year out success but that's my two cents. Yeah. So yeah. I was going to ask you, what was like the pivotal moment when hunting where you're like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? Was there like a particular hunting trip or something like that really got you going? Or was it just like you described earlier? It's not a hobby for me. It's a way of life. Whether it's hunting, whether it's fishing, whether it's trapping, like bow fishing, it doesn't matter. I always tell people I don't have a season, just the game that I pursue changes. 365 days a year, I'm outdoors doing something, whether that, and it might just be gardening, it might be foraging. I have a tracking dog, so doing my part in that of taking them out on blood trails or training her for morel mushrooms. It's just part of who I am. It's in my blood. It's not just a hobby. I didn't get into this to go anywhere on social media with it. I didn't even do it to make friends. Like, it's just who I am. And for many years, I would say for at least almost a decade, it was a major part of my life. And we're, I'm not a spring chicken, right? Like social media wasn't a thing when I started. Facebook was just coming around. I didn't feel the need to post about my excursions on there. It wasn't until probably with like the last five years that I actually started talking about hunting on social media showing what I was up to. It's always been a passion to get out there, but it was one of those things that was super taboo for a female to do it. And once I started showing that on social media, I realized that there was so many other women that felt that same way. And then in 21, I started Women of the Wild and it was like, we opened Pandora's box. Within the first two or three months, we had 3,500 women in our private group that were true active profiles that wanted information. They wanted to be educated by other women. They wanted to share experiences. And from there, it's just, 
erupted into this wonderful sisterhood and support system, whether it's men, whether it's women, whether it's getting kids outdoors, supporting our veterans. It's just, it's an everyday piece of life now. So for you, what's been, you talked about getting all those different groups and I was reading the questionnaire I sent out to everybody just to get the background, but you have First Hunt Foundation on there. Obviously you're working with veterans and kids and all different types of people. For you, what's your favorite? If you could pick one hunt to take somebody on like one of those groups, is it a kid? Is it taking a veteran? What's your favorite? Or do you have favorite parts about them for different reasons? And you can share that too. I do. I I love getting our youth out there, right? Our youth is our next generation of conservation. Without them, all of this falls. Educating them and providing that opportunity, driving that passion for them, is one of the biggest things that we do that I do that resonates doing any type of mentorship with children plus that joy and excitement when it comes to women their first harvest they are the most I don't care if it's a squirrel it could be (laughs) trapping a raccoon it could be catching a sturgeon like the excitement that women bring that to me is what drives a passion for me. Like I don't ever care if I harvest, if I get to watch women harvest for their first time for the rest of my life. Like it's very self like validating to know that you're helping these women experience these things. And I tell people all the time, I almost feel selfish because of the amount of enjoyment that I get from watching other people enjoy something like that for the first time. But then my female veterans, We do typically two to three events every year that are 100% sponsored. So the veterans, all they have to pay for is their licensing and traveling. But that camaraderie, those women who don't necessarily want to accept a position on an event, like they feel like they, it's almost like they feel they don't deserve it, that they don't want to be showcased for that, kind of keep it like under the radar. They are the most humble women I've ever gotten to experience a field with. So they all just have their own thing. I love seeing the biggest one that we've been doing is family hunts. And my favorite is seeing these women that I have mentored who now have gotten so into the outdoors that now they're getting their spouses that never hunted into it and seeing them come out. And then it becomes the whole family. I've always had the saying, you take a man hunting, you've taken a man hunting, you take a woman hunting and you've now brought a community. Um, and we have really showcased that to me, that's the best thing that we can do. The more hunters we have, the better conservation efforts we have. Yeah. One of the, you talked about seeing a woman harvest their first animal. So I got to see my 14 year old daughter harvest her first animal this fall. She harvested a beautiful cow elk and, and that was unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I just, I loved it so much. She was so excited and just the. I don't know, just that moment will stick with me forever. It's probably one of my favorite moments of my life. It was just really awesome to get to experience that with her. So I can feel like exactly what you're talking about with that. It was just something extra special for me. And I know David's been a part of some of those too. He got to take his son for his first big game hunt this last year, and he harvested too. Right, David? Yeah. And you, you touched on it. It truly is about passing it on and building the next generation and how each one of us can foster that in some aspect or regard, whether it's a kid in our own family, a, a woman down the street that's trying to get into it. And I've noticed at Bow Spider, the largest growing demographic is kind of the female voice in the sporting goods outdoors. 
when my wife first started hunting with me, uh, we'll put it out there two decades ago, she wore my camo, right? Cause that's what was available. Mm-hmm. Now there's dozens of female camo lines and it's, there's a different perspective brought to the outdoors. There's a statistic Patrick and I love to share, but it comes down to of families who the father hunts, 20% of the children continue to hunt and recreate in the outdoors and into adulthood of families where the father and mother take the kids out and recreate. And that might just be camping. It might be just fishing by the local stream or lake. It doesn't have to be globe trotting big game adventure hunts. It just has to be recreating and outdoors. 80% of the kids continue to hunt fish trap into adulthood. So what I'm telling all these guys out there is, Let's get rid of this guy's camp mentality that we got to leave the women at home. Now, by all means, there's a time and a place, and I I definitely have a quote-unquote guy's camp where it's the kids don't go, you know, and we're talking, we're doing 24-hour grueling death marches. And I'm not going to scale that trip back to make it successful for a nine-year-old kid, right? But what you can do is you can book a whole other trip that might just be an afternoon to the local fishing pond, on a local turkey hunt, a dove hunt, duck hunt, a doe whitetail deer hunt. You don't always have to be about the inches and the, the trophy. It can just be about the experience. Absolutely. So one of the things I selfishly like to do is have women role models on this show because I have three daughters and they like to listen to the podcast. And I know there's several other of my friends that are females that listen to this podcast as well as guys with their wives and kids that listen. So one of the biggest things that I like to see is that role model that's doing the right thing because the outdoor space is one of those spaces where it gets criticized a lot because people think things about those of us who are sportsmen that probably aren't true, but to model good behavior and to do it right in the outdoors. And one of the things that I've picked up on in your show, listening to the podcast is you talk about doing it the right way, stewarding the resources. So can you talk a little bit about that as far as just the focus that you have for your show and just what you (laughs) role model in the outdoors? So to me, that's where it all starts is being honest, being concise, and being tra- like completely transparent of how we're doing these certain things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Because people always see that highlight reel where everything's always perfect. That's not life. That's not reality. But then also doing things to inspire other women and provide the ability for other women to know that like, I have done this, now you can do it too, I think is one of the biggest things for us providing role models in, in our situation is showcasing to women that there's nothing that is going to limitate you. I took a woman this past year, well, last year now, since we're in 24, eight weeks pregnant, 4,000 feet elevation on an ad hunt, and she shot a ram. Tell me that you have limitations because you don't. Like You have to dig deep and find those and sharing those stories, sharing these. We do a lot of showcase pieces on women all over the world because a lot of women get stuck in their head of, I can't do this. Why can't I do it? But then they see another woman do it and they're like, oh, wait, I can do that. So to us, that's a really big piece to this, but also proper ethics, doing the right thing when no one is looking. That's a really big thing that we enforce. And that's just our motto is making sure that transparency is key and education and inspiration are the forefront of everything that we do 
providing opportunities. Like you said, with our podcast, we do trivia now. And that the whole mission to our monthly trivia is to provide education in a fun manner so it retains because you can sit here and you can read regulations and you can hear all this, you hear it, you see it. If you're not experiencing it and don't have some way to resonate with it, it might not stick. So by hearing other girls' voices that sound familiar or the laughter, the play for them to play along with us, we're in hopes that these girls will retain that information. And ultimately, if you learned something new from one episode, then it served its purpose. I hope I answered that. So what are some things, two-part question, what are some things, some ethics situations and how people can do to mitigate them, right? Because ethics in the field can be, we're not talking illegal activity. I'm just talking what's ethical, unethical. And then another one is, as these younger girls are putting some of this stuff out on social media, I've noticed if I put a dead animal on social media, I receive very little hate. But the women tend to receive a lot more hate. Can you also speak to what should somebody do if they are being targeted and receiving some hate on social media? I'm going to actually answer that a little backwards because, first of all, everything that my response will always come back with education. If you have people who are coming at you with, why are you doing it this way? Or the, why would you shoot a spike? That kind of stuff. If it's a trophy to you, it's a trophy to me. And I feel that at the end of the day, most of these people, you're either going to win or you're going to educate or you're going to lose or you're going to educate. You're never going to win. So if somebody already has their mind made up, the best thing you can do is come back with education of why I did it this way. Maybe taking a step back and realizing where they're coming from. This year, I had a pretty awesome one with my monkey from South Africa. I had posted a vervet monkey and I posted it with education. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but posted a vervet monkey of why it was harvested. A lot of those attacking comments of why would you shoot this cute cuddly creature and then all this spew of false information about, gosh, I don't even remember some of the reasons, but it was like that we steal them from their moms and they go into like this trafficking. And I said, the reality of it is, okay, we all have this false conception here in the United States that these monkeys are cute, cuddly, teddy bear kind of things. But the reality of it is they're no different than like a raccoon is to us, only they rip your shingles off your house they're causing crop damage. So I guess to shorten that answer, because I could go into this for hours, to shorten that answer, education is key, providing that out there. I think that is what mitigates most of it because people come from, I don't want to say being naive, but in all reality, that's what it is. They're naive to the fact of why somebody else does something in a manner other than the way that they think it should be done. And I use South Africa as an example because I've gotten death threats over my zebra and South Africa is a huge passion of mine, and it's the one that I get torn apart for the most. And in all reality, it's all a false conception of what Nat Geo and the Lion King and zoos have implemented in in U.S. citizens' brains that you can't shoot a zebra and you shouldn't shoot a giraffe. Oh, I'm not trying to hijack, but there's a (laughs) point to make, and it's there's two places on the planet that wildlife populations have increased in the 21st century. One is North American continent. The other one is South America, South Africa, and both have implemented the North American wildlife conservation model. South Africa's done it their own way, 
But it's important to point out to these people who are out there screaming, you shot a zebra, you shot a monkey, you shot this, you're taking this fish out of this body of water, you're the bad guy. They need to get off their moral superior high horse because they're not correct and their horse is non-existent. And they need to look at the numbers, the facts, the science and the data that points to, and we could go on this for hours, but <laughs> bison, whitetails, turkeys, elk, and then let's look at zebra, lions, elephants. Seven car oryx. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally a population that was wiped out in South Africa. And here in the United States, our Texas breeding programs are what brought the scimitar oryx. A lot of people don't realize that. They don't realize that the hunting, trophy hunting over there, yes, you're trophy hunting, but you're providing food to resources of school districts and nursing homes and villages. And it's literally halted poaching because these people don't have to go kill something just to feed their family if we're going to deliver it to their doorstep. Not only that, because you have hunting and you're selling hunting tags and these excursions and this stuff that now you have funding to hire wildlife managers, wildlife biologists to help protect the animals. Because I know that's the biggest issue by far in Africa is poaching. As the poachers in parts of Africa, they rule. They're just doing whatever they want to do. In South Africa, they don't get to do that. And the wildlife flourishes because they have wildlife management. And to your point, people are being provided with food. And I think that we just did three very interesting podcasts on wolves and talking about Mm -hmm. the effect of wolves and plus minus all the different things. But there's a significant section of the country that believes that wolves are just the cuddly little puppy that they see on the Disney movies. And they don't realize they are killing machines. And that's what they do. Just like in South Africa, Lions are killing machines (laughs) and they are very good at it. And so they have to be managed just like anything else. And so there's just a lot of misconception from people on what hunting does to regulate and help manage populations, whether it be predator or prey populations, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So just vegetation alone. Yeah. So what do you typically start with? Like when they attacked you about the monkeys where like with the education piece, did you just go laundry list? These are the things like that these creatures do, and this is why they have to be managed. So the post started that way, right? Because I know that those people are going to come out of the woodwork from the get. So it was like a post of the monkey, a post of the damage from the thatching. Cause they don't have shingles. They have thatching on their roofs and those monkeys get up there and they rip it out but it talked about the agriculture destruction that they cause disease that can be spread of overpopulation. Just the fact of management. I don't care if it's a squirrel, a rabbit, a whitetail, everything has a a purpose to be managed, right? Whether that's coyotes, zebras, impalas, doesn't matter. Every animal on this planet needs a form of management. Other ways those populations can exceed. Perfect example, elephants in Botswana. They, w- they start dredging out such a path in the earth that the earth can't sustain, sustain past that. So it's Im- everything has an importance, right? And that's why we have CITES permits. That's why we have licensing and regulations. To me, as long as you're being ethical and doing it in the manner that is provided by that CITES or that law or that permit, you're good in my book. I'm not going to judge you for what you took. So I do have a hard time with that when people come back with stuff like that. But in this particular case... All you can do is educate. They don't want it, and you can tell that in the first comment. So typically, I won't even engage. 
<laughs> this particular comment, I was referred to as a rich white girl that was just over in South Africa. And I said, honey, if you think that's the case, I said, I hate to break it to you, but I'm middle class just like everybody else. It's just sharing something like that brought a conversation as to why something like this is hunted. And not just that, my Egyptian goose, that's something that brought a huge conversation. The zebra, even just here in the United States, hunting hogs. A lot of people have false conceptions about stuff like that. Hunting squirrels. I can't tell you how many squirrels you post a photo or a recipe about a squirrel. And then all of a sudden you're this terrible, heinous human being for shooting this cute, cuddly squirrel. Why would you ever do that? He's not a predator. Guess what? They need managed too. So it's just, that's how I handle everything. Just education. I take it with a grain of salt most of the time. And I gauge my audience. If it's someone that I feel that I can educate, I'll engage and I'll provide that education. If it's someone that I know it's some PETA greenie coming at me and they're just here for blood, I'm not going to engage. I don't need to hear how the terrible things like I'm not really sure where our world flipped, where it's okay to threaten a human being's life over taking an animal's life. I won't engage in that. I don't support it. And I think that a lot of times they're just looking for a reaction. So to me, to listeners, like you got to know your audience of how you're going to respond. But arguing back is never going to work for you. Nobody wins. They have more ammunition against you of why you're this terrible person in that sense. But I I just always say kill them with kindness. Yeah, I had a (laughs) we had some comments on our YouTube channel about the wolves. Right. And these people are they weren't even coherent thoughts or comments, really. And I just said, thanks for your comments. Cause I mean, I don't know what else to say. Cause it's like, man, clearly I can't have a discussion with you cause you don't even have a coherent thought pattern at this point. Thanks for taking the time, I guess, you know, so you're always going to have that. And I, I like that approach because I, there's so many people I see, they get into these verbal or text back and forth about it. And it's like, it just doesn't go anywhere. Cause typically those people have their minds made up. Now, if you have someone who has a malleable mind and is actually like, why would you hunt a lion or why would you hunt a zebra? And they're actually curious. That opens the door to then say, well, here's why they do it. This is why it's important, but it's it's tough to get to that point. How do you, do you have any tactics of how to get someone to that point? If you meet them in everyday life and you're having a verbal conversation, like how do you get to that point? I have a really great example and going back to the squirrels in 21, I posted a photo of a squirrel and it was me holding a couple of squirrels. Right. And I had a girl that came on there and it was like, you can hunt Turkey. You can hunt deer. You can hunt this and this. Why would you go for the squirrels? And I provided education and literally the next season I had her come out hunting. So it was all done privately, which I can really respect. If you're going to engage with me and you post a comment and then I comment back and then you message me, there's no reason to blast it all over social media if you have a negative perception on it. But let me educate you. And that is a neat story because it completely flopped. Somebody was like, I don't agree with this. Why would you do it to small game hunting now? And I think that's where we succeed as hunters is we're too quick to jump the gun and fight back when not always fighting is what's needed. It's education in person. I don't know that I have ever personally experienced anyone in person come out with those attacking quote unquote phrases, but for the most part, everyone in person has been super supportive, but I feel like people try to avoid 
conflict, like everybody can be a keyboard warrior, right? But nobody wants the in-person conflict. Sure. I personally, I got a little bit of thick skin and I got a little bit of pit bull in, in me of where <laughs> if that were to be done in person, I think I would handle it differently still with education, but more sternly of, I would point out the fact that the, what they're calling out is incorrect. And this is why I would still kill them with kindness. I would still be, this is what we are trying to do. People don't understand that as hunters, we are the number one contributors to conservation. PETA greenies like to think, overlook that huge fact. And it's no secret hunting licenses has been on the decline. So providing that education, bringing these new hunters in, seeing that we can handle things and engage in a, an education manner is going to make it where people are like, oh, I can get into this. And you're going to draw more in. To me, that's that's how I handle everything. Yeah. It was fun this last year. I had some folks here from an Ivy League university and I was having dinner with them and I invited my buddy Art Lawson. He's the chief of the tribal game and fish out on the reservation here. And he's a good friend, just loves the outdoors, loves hunting, loves fishing. And he joined and the conversation went to hunting on the reservation and different practices and whatnot. And this guy from this university, he couldn't wrap his head around like, why would you kill anything? But he just couldn't understand. We're sitting there and we're eating beef. And it's, well, this animal lost its life so that we could eat, but we don't have any kind of story to go with it. And then Art just went on this thing talking about the heritage of how humankind have been hunting for as long as history and the reason why we do it and how it's supposed to be a community thing and how hunting brings us closer to who we really are as people by doing that. And it was cool because his perspective has changed now because he's okay. Now I understand it. But when you get somebody from a big city, they typically don't get it because they've never had to experience it. They've never even had a remote thought of it. They just always thought it was just like they showed on Disney. It's just this guy blasting away in the forest and doesn't really care about anything. And that's just not hunters. Right. Yeah. It's that they're naive because they haven't been exposed. So providing them a kind exposure with welcoming conversation is what's going to draw them in, not seeing an argument. So that's exactly it though, to have that conversation of, well, this is why, or females, how you guys were saying about like deer camps, right? Like it's, that's actually how, for me, that's where Women of the Wild started was because I wasn't allowed at fish camps. I wasn't allowed at deer camp. And I was like, well, screw you guys. I'll make my own then. Fine. So that's actually where it all started was I was sick of being pushed aside. I wasn't allowed to go waterfowl hunting. I wasn't allowed to go to deer camp. And I said, I'll make my own deer camp if that's how it's going to be fine. And don't get me wrong. I am, I'm a boy mom and this could put me in hot water, but I completely disagreed with the fact when they intermixed Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, right? Because we have these teenage boys who are about to have hormones raging. And now you're telling me that they have to sit in a room with girls. I don't feel that's different with adults. Like men deserve their men's time. Women deserve their women's time. Like, I'm not saying like he man, woman hater over here, but <laughs> there is a point in time when you separate them, but there's an also a really great opportunity to combine them that not every opportunity has to be open to both sexes that it can be just a guy's camp or it can be just a women's camp. But at the end of the day, if you're welcoming with open arms, like, Hey, we're doing this event. It's a women's only. Oh, now you're sexist. Well, no, come on. There's a comfortability and a safety aspect to all of this, mm -hmm. whether that's a married man, right? He's going to deer camp. His wife doesn't want another woman in camp. That's just respect. 
so that it gets shunned and it gets such a bad name because people don't look at it from that perspective. It's, oh, I'm just not welcome. Well, no, there's a time and a place for it. And this unfortunately isn't it. Not that I don't support it elsewhere, though. Right. I know that my dad and I and my son, we have a guy's fishing trip every year. And it's three generations of Edwards boys going out to hit the water. And it's a really special experience. I've got my 80-year-old dad and my nine-year-old son. But it's great. And But there's other times where I take the whole family and we go fishing. And, and that's fun, too. But it's just a different experience. And it has different places. And it's okay to do that. I'm all for, I see this all the time, there's these women fishing trips or women's hunting trips. I think that's great. It means more participation in the thing that we love and it's good to have support from both sexes doing it. I think that's so mm -hmm. critical because I want my daughters to hunt. It was so cool watching my oldest do it this year. I want my son to hunt and I want all of them to fish and they do fish. They like that a lot, but it's up to us to expose them to that, but also to be good examples when we're out there doing it. And I know David, he's done a lot of that with his boys, just taking them out and they get a lot out of it and they get real excited. Like we took Hunter <laughs> up to Alaska a few years ago and man, that was exciting to watch him fight sockeye salmon, hand-to-hand -hand combat and David <laughs> holding on to him so he wouldn't get swept away in the Kenai. <laughs> but that kind of stuff is pretty awesome, isn't it, David? And Felicia, to your point, I 100% agree. And this is coming as an Eagle Scout, right? Eagle Scouts, scouting was a very just heritage organization, very good organization. And there is something about having the guy's trip. I'm, I didn't mean earlier that, Oh, we got to eliminate it. No, I just said it can't always be the guy's trip. You're a hundred percent correct. And what Patrick was talking about is I told my young son, I'm like, Hey, you're going on the big boy fishing trip. We're getting up early. We're not going to, when you get cold, leave the river. We're staying on the river until the adults are done here. It's the adults are talking, be quiet. It's a, the adults are going fishing. If you're coming, this is the adult trip, not the local lake fishing trip where, oh, we're quiet. We're tired and cold. Okay, we'll go home early. That wasn't this trip. But you've touched on something important, and that's building some expectations around these trips. And if it's always, no, you're my girlfriend. You stay home. You don't get to go duck hunting. We are missing out on an opportunity to increase our numbers and and that's where it comes down to we are five percent sportsmen are five percent of the population i don't want to recruit 95 percent of the other people to my fishing hole to my hunting hole but i want to educate 95 percent so they're okay with me going doing that and if that means that we've got to have a gal's weekend doing some camp some event if we have a co-ed hunt trip great if we have the boys trip and structuring those trips to where, like I said, I still have the adult boys trip where I leave all my boys at home. That's okay. We have trips where mom and the boys go and the girls go and everybody goes. And building those expectations and, and educating is where we need to move forward. And we got to come together. we got to quit saying, you're a trapper, you're bad, but, oh, you're a fisherman, you're good. And, oh, well, you're a waterfowler, I guess you're okay, but you're a big game and you kill predators, you're bad. We can't. We can't have this divisiveness anymore. If you want to recreate outdoors, you got to realize the greenies don't want any human traffic outdoors ever again. They want you to go in your box, live in your high-rise hotel, and vote the way they want you to vote, spend your dollars where they want you to spend it, and never step outside. And I'm, A, I'm okay with that. I never, I want 
pristine wilderness, let's not touch it. But the fact is we're not rolling up the sidewalk. We're not going to turn our power off. We're not going to quit putting gas in cars. So we have to balance wildlife within its habitat. And part of that conservation model is every animal has to pay for its habitat. How do animals pay for that habitat? Africa is a great example. Here's a great example. And it's horrible to say that white-tailed deer needs to pay for its land. But if it's not paying for its land, it gets bulldozed over and turned into a shopping mall. And once it's turned into that shopping mall, there's nobody going around the country ripping up concrete and replanting hardwoods and letting deer back in. It just sits and decays and stays a shopping mall indefinitely. Yeah, One of the things you mentioned in the questionnaire was outdoorsmen not working together. And I think that is a major problem. And David and I talk about it quite a bit, but I'd be curious to hear more from you on your thoughts on that particular issue. Yeah, hands down. That is our biggest struggle. Women and men doesn't matter. Our biggest fight is within ourselves. It's our community that is ripping each other down. We know what it's going to say. We know what the greenies are going to say, right? We know who we can educate and who it's just you're better off to tuck your tail and walk away at times. But it just stings a little bit different when you have an elk hunter telling you that you shouldn't have shot this coyote. You know what I mean? That is where I don't understand the tug and pull in the community, right? Like I'm respecting what you do. You need to respect what I'm doing. And I get it from all aspects because I hunt big game, because I do waterfowl, I do upland, I do trapping. Like I don't have a limitation. So I see it on so many different avenues in the outdoors. Like just yesterday, it was a massive blow up over this color phase coyote, right? I don't know if you guys saw it, but I'm like, at the end of the day, what's done is done. You can interject what you want to. And I have a feeling that you know exactly what I'm talking about by the look I just got, but you can interject what you want, but what is it going to do? You're taking away from that person's harvest, right? You have a young kid who, for his very first deer, shoots a spike. You tell him, why would you shoot that thing? My dog's bigger than that. How dare you take that pride away from that child or a grown man or a woman or whatever? They, you, don't, you can't judge how many times somebody was able to get out there. Maybe they were only able to do one or two sits their season. Maybe they're not sitting like 60, 70 days like I am. Maybe this is their one opportunity and this is how they're going to feed their family. That to me is the war that we, for some reason, can't seem to subside past. It just keeps dredging up. It it drives me absolutely crazy because to me, again, kill them with kindness. You light someone else's candle with yours. There's no reason why we can't glow brighter together. Just support. And if you don't like it, don't like their post. Don't comment. It's that simple. It is that simple. It is social media. You don't want to follow them. You hit a button. Done. You never (laughs) see them again. Don't ruin that for someone else. And with women, we see it a lot. And I shut those down immediately, whether it's on my page, whether it's on the Women of the Wild page or any of the other companies that I own. If I see any of that, you are shut down. You are blocked. I won't tolerate it. You are not going to stifle someone else's fire with your ego it's not happening and it shouldn't happen. And those people, you get a message of why would you remove me from this group? Well, because you were, you you can't treat people like that and expect 
that everybody's supposed to gravel on the ground that you walk on. Your opinion is your opinion. It doesn't have to mean that everybody has to abide by it. And I think in a community, I don't know when we came into this where my opinion is the only one that matters. I'm the type of person where I look at everything from multiple perspectives and I'm like, oh, I can see it from a greenie side. Do I agree with it? Absolutely not. But I'm not going to tell them, oh, that you should be a vegetarian, that you have to eat meat. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say that to a vegetarian where sometimes you'll have those vegans who are like, you, you shouldn't eat this because of this. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't eat this because of that. We, well, everyone will have that fight if you decide to choose to go that route. But to me, taking the higher ground, I just, I can't even fathom. When you ask what drives me crazy, that's it. Because I can't, <laughs> I can see things from so many different perspectives, but I, that is a perspective I will never understand, is why people feel the need to shame other people's harvests of any manner. I don't care if it's a fish and you want to say, oh, like it's not big enough or who cares? They're proud of it. Be proud of it. Let it be. Yeah. The fishing groups on Facebook drive me crazy because people diss on somebody else or, oh, you, you should have blurred your background. You shouldn't have blurred your background. You should have let that one go. You're holding that one wrong. I'm just like. You, you measured know. it from underneath instead of over top. Like Yeah, I'm like, you're wasting so much energy right now. You must have mm -hmm. a really sad life. <laughs> That's what you're worried about. I was just like, wow. But to your point, though, it doesn't do anything to build that community and build that camaraderie that we need to have to perpetuate our sports, right? Like it just does not do that. And unfortunately it is vicious and it doesn't matter whether like David's primarily a hunter. I'm primarily an angler. That's mostly what I do. It's really bad on both ends of it. And it's sad. Mike Tyson, great quote. And it's, <laughs> I love this one. And I think about it all the time when I go read stuff, but social media has made everybody way too comfortable with saying things that they would get punched in the face for in person. And so you got to just take it with a grain of salt, rise above it, kill them with kindness. But remember, everybody's fighting a battle that you know nothing about mm -hmm. and you aren't equipped to fight that battle. So be kind is the moral of the story. To your point, yeah, if you see somebody shoot a spike, congratulate them. If you see your neighbors killed his seventh spike in a row, educate him on what proper protocol might be. But don't attack him and not social media. It's just... Come here, little Johnny. Come under my wing. Let's discuss what habitat management looks like, what species management looks like. And the same thing for the fishing in industry, right? If you're always going to the same spot, and yeah, it's legal to take 21 fish, but you're just ripping them right out of there. If they don't need to be out of there, maybe you should take three this time, right? And if you're using all 21, great. But if there's a slot limit, don't be pushing the edges of the slot limit a quarter inch each way because you're greedy, right? And so there is that... There's a balance. I don't, in hunting, I can't tell you that, well, you shouldn't have shot a spike or you shouldn't have shot a doe or you shouldn't have shot this. If there's too many does, we need to pull does out of the population and quit being the bucket biologist. And let's listen to the biologist and let the guy that's hired do his job. What would you pass on to some young girls, some thoughts and experience that you've had in the outdoors so that they can be successful? Biggest thing that I always tell girls is if you, if it's something you want to do it, but do it educated. I will never tell somebody just go do it. It is usually a come with me, let me educate you. Trapping's a perfect example. I'm not some pro trapper, but I do it for a local farmer. 
it's our way of trading hunting land, right? Like I do work for him. I get land to hunt. I can guide on it. I can take my girls on it, but let me provide that opportunity or let me connect you with somebody to educate you. But that's my biggest thing is get educated before you go, but go do it. Educate and go. Don't let your mind limitate your heart. I think that's something that I see a lot of women do is they get too far in their head of there's no way I could do this. I've taken women into the mountains where men have given up. Don't tell me that you can't do this. If you have the drive and you have the will, there's nothing that you can't accomplish. Whether you're a man, woman, youth, if you want to do it bad enough, there's a way to get it done. You just have to have that within you and that fire and that go and that grit. Find it and then let's go. But do everything ethical, please. That's one thing that is a big thing that I pushed. This is probably my biggest phrase to my children that I could probably call them in here and ask them what I say to them all the time. Ethics, doing the right thing, even when no one is looking. Like that to me is the biggest for any outdoorsman or woman that is getting out there. Please make sure you're always doing the right thing, reading your regulations. Just on a hunting trip this past weekend, and we had some game wardens in. There was a conflict in the regulation of what was legal, what wasn't legal in transport. Knowing your laws and regulations, not knowing them and being naive to what those laws are is not an excuse, right? Like, it's not. If you don't know them, it's not, oh, shucks, I didn't know. It's too bad, here's your ticket, which in some states is massive. But I brought up, uh, I brought up a, a re regulation with transport that it was like, well, that's, it was the wing to head, right? Where you have to leave a wing on for transport. And I said, well, in, in actuality, you can leave the head on as well. And I provided that documentation because even the game wardens were like, hmm, I don't know about the head. So I pulled up Texas Parks and Wildlife and showed it to them. And they were so thankful, but that just goes to show that even law enforcement doesn't have the answer all the time, right? But you as the hunter need to have that information because if there is a discrepancy, if there is a dispute, you have to show where that information came from. So being uneducated is only your fault. Those rule books are online. You can, I have a whole stack of them in the center council of my truck that I hand them out to people. There's the only limitation is yourself whether that's education, whether, and I don't want to say physical ability, right? We have people with d disabilities, right? And they get bagged on for using a crossbow or why did you use this? And that's a whole nother conversation. But your what your mind is willing to limit you on is only up to you. Yeah. No, I think it, <clears throat> you bring forward a good point. And unfortunately, not enough sportsmen take that seriously enough that it is their responsibility. They're always like, oh, it's the game warden. It's the game warden this, it's the game warden that. It's like, they have a very difficult job. <laughs> you're going around, you're checking armed people most of the time, and you're enforcing the law. And it's really difficult. It's a very high stress job. I have lots of game warden friends, and it's up to us to know the rules and regulations. Like with my kids, I always want to make sure that they don't have that bad experience where dad gets a ticket or they end up getting a ticket because we weren't prepared. That's what better way to ruin an outing than to do something like that. But you brought up something a little bit ago, and I want to jump over to this real quick. You talked about earlier before the podcast started about 
cooking wild game and a cookbook that you have. So I want you to talk about that. And you got to talk about the squirrel dumplings. I got to hear about this. So I'll let you jump into that. Women of the Wild is on year two of our wild game cookbook. And the whole reason that got brought up is because we had so many women coming on events that were like, man, I'd really like to duck hunt, but I've never tried to duck. I don't really see the need to shoot something that I'm not consuming. I don't know how to process it. So it was like, okay, let's shut that down and let's provide you the opportunity to try these things. So then we started doing a lot with wild game and cooking that in our meals. When we'd be on a duck hunt or something, we would cook the duck breast right there in the field or right then and there for dinner. But having that conversation, I only eat wild game, so I don't eat store-bought meat. So I have the ability to cook that in a manner that you're probably going to enjoy it thoroughly. It's not like you're going to try a duck breast and it's going to be overcooked and you're going to be like, I'm never eating this. I don't want to hunt it. But that's how it started. Last year was like the first year, right? We were in our infancy with it. It was our first year running the cookbook. And it was anything from a groundhog to a raccoon up to bears and elk and you name it, it's in there fishing. This year we strided past that and like really overdid it with our cookbook. It's over a hundred pages. And it's again, anything from snapping turtle to a bear to squirrels and turkey and pheasants. Like if you wanted to hunt it, there is a form or a fashion within that book for you to be able to construct a meal that you're going to enjoy. And it's very step-by-step, but it's so people, so they don't go shoot a duck and then overcook it and then never want to eat it or hunt it again. Women are very emotional hunters. So it's important for us that if we're going to kill it, that we're going to consume it, that we're going to use it. That's what the point of the cookbook is. As far as my squirrel dumpling recipe, Squirrel is one of mine and my kids' favorite dishes in the house. And I do, my grandma actually started off with a squirrel popcorn, And from there, it morphed into the American-style chicken, like chicken and dumplings, but utilizing squirrel. And it's just like fall, wintertime favorite. If we can get a, typically we like to use two or three squirrels. It's just me and my boys in the house, so we don't need a whole lot of meat. Uh, If you have a big family, you're going to need six or seven squirrels to make a decent meal. But for us, we can make it with just a few, some homemade dumplings and some vegetables and some chicken stock and crock pot it for the day. Throw your dumplings in last. And it's just a nice warm and like a filling meal too. Like it's not something that you're going to go run a marathon afterwards. You're going to eat it and you're going to go to bed. You're going to go hibernate for a few hours. (laughs) So yeah, I got to try it. I haven't squirrel hunted and I don't even know when, but now I'm like, eh, I might have to try that one. But recipes are so much fun. How do people get a hold of the cookbook? It's on our website at www.womenofthewild.net. It's underneath of our merchandise and gear. It's a fantastic cookbook. There's so like literally so much in there, and it's broken down. There's appetizers. There's side dishes. There's full-on entrees, everything separated, whether it's walleye fish tacos up to snapping turtle stew and there's pies and cakes and there's we had some requests for like gluten-free and people with like celiac so there is stuff like that in there too that people have morphed there's your grandma's canned pickles it's everything it's not just this is what's for dinner it's hey i need to make a side and i only have 30 minutes to do it what can i do and it's fishing it's hunting it's foraging it's gardening it's not limited to 
oh, you have to kill an elk to try this, right? And the biggest thing people have to know is most red meats, like your elk, your venison, you can sub those for somebody that doesn't cook wild game is any way that you would cook beef, right? Anything with like pheasant, turkey, you can almost prepare it in any manner that you would do chicken. I highly advise you don't cook a sandhill crane like you would cook poultry. <laughs> that one I, it was a fresh one to me that I was like, oh, please don't do that. You will hate it. Cook them like you would beef, right? A blue piece of beef. <laughs> That's why they call it um, ribeye of the sky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had somebody that asked if they could take the full bird home and cook it and roast it like a turkey. And I was like, mm, I can't, I wouldn't say you can't. And I don't know anybody that has done it. But I wouldn't waste that kind of meat on that. But so this year for the 2024 cookbook that'll come out for the 2025, we're digging, we're, we're doing one even better, right? Like we are going to go into processing. We are going to start teaching people how to properly quarter their animals, what meat that they could possibly be missing. Sandhill cranes are one of my favorite that people breast them out and that's it. No, <laughs> take those legs, take those hearts. The heart on a sandhill crane is the absolute best piece of meat. To me, it's one of my favorite. The heart on every animal. People don't even think that you can eat that. We're gonna talk about the utilizing of tongues and liver. Just there's so much meat that can go to waste because people don't know. So we're gonna educate them on that and we're gonna provide that opportunity for them to get that education from the cookbook coming forward too. We're learning, we're adapting, and we're growing along with everyone. We're in our infancy of a few years in, but we're listening and we're hitting the ground running and providing that. So I think there's over 100 recipes in the cookbook this year. If somebody's interested in grabbing it, they can use WILD in all caps for free shipping if they're interested in getting it for the month of January. But other than that, if we can provide that opportunity for people to learn how to utilize that meat, we're going to have more hunters because they're going to enjoy it and they're going to need more of it. Yep. And I think there's a big push in certain parts of society that people are wanting to get back to the roots of hunting and knowing where their food comes from. I'm actually listening to an audiobook right now called The Comfort Crisis. And the guy really talks a lot about dealing with adversity and tough hunting situations and understanding hunting. And it's a fascinating book so far, but talking a lot about what you're talking about. And I got to say, it's been really awesome having you on the show and how do people follow you, see what you're doing, support what you're doing, tell everybody how they can do that. I would say the biggest thing is women of the wild, women of the wild on Facebook, Instagram. If you're a female listening, we would love to have you in our private group. It is a women's only for security and safety reasons. We have the Women of the Wild podcast that has its own platforms. That would be my biggest thing. Of it. If you want to connect with what we're doing at Women of the Wild to go through there. Me personally, I'm just under Felicia Marie. Uh, I think my Instagram, I'm not real good with social media. So I think it's Felicia Marie Wild Endeavors. And then if I have any ladies out there that want to get into hunting, but maybe want to do it in the smaller class setting, I have my guide service of misguided Instagram and Facebook that I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one education here in Michigan and a couple other states where if women want one-on-one -on -one education that they're not comfortable or confident yet to do it in a large setting, they can find me there. I like to imagine that early caveman, early humans were hunter-gatherers 
the gatherers were the less of society. The hunters were cherished as heroes, right? Because if you brought something home, well, somebody else gathered something to go as a side with whatever you <laughs> harvested, right? The hunters were the heroes. But if you had to pick one species, one weapon to go out and procure, what would it be? What Like one species with that one weapon? That's not a fair question because my <laughs> dream animal, I'm not going to do with my recurve. And that would be... If I had to go that route, it would be a bear with my recurve. Like a black bear? But my dream animal, bear? I'm not shooting with recurve. I don't care. I've never killed a bear. Okay. It wouldn't matter to me. I just, a bear has been high on my list of something to do and to do it with my recurve, I think would be amazing. That's cool. So bears will eat you, but the equipment for bears, having harvested some with a rifle and a bow, bears are not as tough as elk or moose right they're actually now they're strong and they will oh, yeah. but you have already <laughs> have plenty of poundage and, and adequate equipment to harvest a bear with your bow yes i've been bear hunting i'm just super selective and i won't take the little guys but i don't need one so that would be my ultimate goal but if you really want to get into ultimate goal goals ibex i'm gonna go over to pakistan and shoot me an ibex that'd be cool <laughs> well, when you do that, come share the story with us. Cause that would be fun to Absolutely. hear the story for sure. But yeah, I hope folks will go out and check out what you're doing and support you. It's again, it's all about this community. We got to support one another and help each other out. And I'm really glad that we connected because I've enjoyed several of your podcasts already. And it's always fun to listen and hear what other people are talking about. And it amazes me some of these women that you have on all the different things they're doing. I'm like, how do you even have time to hunt? But <laughs> it's incredible and it's really cool. And so I hope everybody goes and checks out your podcast as well. But again, thank you so much for taking time to hang out on a podcast with Dave and I. Absolutely. I really appreciate both of you. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Carbon TV, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a RADCAST community on Facebook called RADCAST Nation. We'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thanks again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>